0: The Free For All Roundtable.
1: Round two. And on round two this morning to talk the current events, children's music teacher, Michelle Morrow. Is it Michelle? John always says Michelle.
2: I know. uh, My uncle says that too, but it's Michelle or Michelle. As long as you call me nicely, I will respond. Okay. Maybe
1: maybe John got that from the Beatles.
2: Maybe. And he's also French, right? And so it could be Michelle. I'm fine with that.
1: Yes, because that's the one Beatles song that actually has French in it. (laughs) <laughs> that's true <laughs> all right uh deb hutton former advisor to two premiers. do you like deb or debbie
0: usually deb
1: okay all right i don't How know why I I'm...
0: Get? I'm like michelle as yeah? long as you're nice about it
1: all right bob robert richardson <laughs> Keep it informal. Bob will do. All right, then. (laughs) Uh, Let's start with this uh, closure of Queen Street. I think it's a small section, but it always impacts um, a a longer area, east and west, on a street like Queen Street. And uh, they're saying four and a half years, and everybody's rolling their eyes and saying, okay, then nine, or whatever. I've been trying to get some office pools going, but that's a long-term office pool, so people aren't that gung-ho about it. But uh, Bob, (laughs) I, I guess it has to be done, but we're right to be cynical about the timeline.
3: Yeah, I think we are. Look, uh, we need to build transit. It should have been done over the last 25 years. It hasn't been. Kudos actually to this government for getting it into the ground. And I think we should say that. I don't think the communication around this has been terrific. You know, I live downtown. I I should know more about this than I do. I'm on four or five social platforms. I should see more information about it than I do. Um, The other thing I think we should do on this is let's do some quarterly reports to find out how it's going. Governments have been super secretive on these sort of things. Uh, We should see if they're accomplishing their timelines and sticking to them. All right, Michelle, well, you don't live in the city, so maybe you don't care.
2: Oh, I do care, though, because I have friends in Toronto and I still come down, but I appreciate that Bob went first because he was very calm and very rational, whereas I was listening to your conversation with the Transportation Minister and I was like, ah, a short-term, this is not a short-term pain. Four years is not short-term. I g- agreed in the whole lifespan of the city, yes, it could be short-term, but four years is not short-term and I don't necessarily take them at their word when the Eglinton is, what, like 14 now? 14 is the estimated time? That's not short-term pain for the poor people who have been living right there in the businesses that have closed be- besides that. I appreciate appreciate that this needs to be done. We have waited too long, but at the same time, we need to be realistic. And perhaps these quarterly check-ins with them would actually get their butts in gear and make sure they're being honest about what these timelines are.
1: All right. He wasn't the minister. It was Roger Brown, Director of of Traffic Management at the City of Toronto. Um, So, Deb, uh, the federal government has uh, reached a deal with most of the workers. We would hope from there, I guess, that they make one with the
0: CRA employees. But are you happy? No. I'm not. I said, leave them out on strike for as long as we possibly could. I, I actually thought Trudeau might hang tough on this, but I don't think it sounds like he has. What, 12 and a half, more than 12 and a half percent raise over three years. A $2,500 check? Like, what the heck is that? Everybody gets a nice big check. 2500 bucks, And the thing that irritates me probably the most, believe it or not, is that we now have the union saying, no, you can't make us go to the office, and we're putting it in a contract. And if anyone thinks that's ever going to come out of the contract, then you have never sat at a union negotiating table.
1: All right.
3: Bob, you want to step up for the government, or do you feel like she does? Um, I'm a little bit in between, which is probably why I'm a liberal. Um, the uh, Look, I any day that collective bar- bargaining works, I think is generally a good day. I have less problem than Dev, Dev does on the wage issue. Uh, there has been some significant inflation and public service uh, salaries need to reflect that too as well. I am not a fan of these work at home provisions. I think that's something that needs to be decided by the employer. And I think uh, uh, I think There's little accountability in the public sector on work at home. When you do it in the private sector, I have to bill my hours, so I'm accountable. Uh, They're not. Uh, and I think that's, that's a big problem for me.
1: Yeah, see, Michelle, my problem with it is that I don't think there is collective bargaining. I've always said that in the private sector, the representatives of the union sit on one side of the table, and the representatives of the company sit on the other side of the table, and they work hard to come to a deal that works for both of them, keep the company in business, keep the workers happy. And in public uh, the sector, no matter what the politicians say, eventually they're all sitting on the same side of the table and screwing the public.
2: I agree. I'm kind of, I'm, I want to hope that there is, um, accountability for the work at home because that's a bit of a stickler with me. I think there's a lot of uh, public service jobs that cannot be done from home and I hope that there will be some leeway in saying that, hey, I know you want to work from home, but perhaps this isn't the job for you if you want to work from home. But I worry that once it's like Deb said, once it's written in, that it will not be removed. It's really hard to take things that are entrenched in contracts out. And so that makes me very nervous.
1: All right. So you've worked in, several of you have worked in politics. I'll start with you, Deb. There's this idea put forth that um, we've got 59 Nine candidates, but among the top seven, eight, the ones that show up in the polls for whatever reason, it's going to get nasty for mayor of Toronto. Do you think that's true?
0: Yeah, I, I do. And, you know, someone will write the headline, Nastiest mayorly, Mayoralty Race in History. And and the problem is that headline gets written just about every election that we have. Uh, do I think this is going to be nastier? It, it might be, although I, did, you know, cast your mind back to 2014. It wasn't exactly a walk in the park. Uh, John Tory ultimately won, but it was a pretty nasty and divisive campaign. The problem we have now is we have a whole whack of candidates that are hovering somewhere between, depending on the polls, you know, the the mid-teens. And you've got to figure out a way in the absence of debates to get your name out there. And so I think that's what you're seeing. The other thing is... I, I do believe things will get nasty in the next few days uh, week and a half because the cutoff date if anyone was thinking about dropping out and I say the words mitzi hunter in that because she has to resign her seat well no she's she has to resign her seat Jerry if yeah. she's going to stay in the race so I think between now and next Friday a week from Friday uh, you will see a lot of stuff maybe coming out of her campaign to see if she can get out of that four five six percent range because if she doesn't it is not worth with whatever she makes as an MPP.
1: Well, I can tell you what she's pushing because I got a robocall yesterday and uh, she's going to improve the TTC. And the way she's going to do that is seniors ride free and she's going to roll back the increase in uh, fares that was recently put in place. How she will afford all of that, she didn't say. But
3: Bob, are you working with any of the candidates? Yeah, I'm supporting uh, Anna Ballow for, uh, for mayor, but I, I know most of them, and they're they're pretty good folks. Look, this is the tame kind of trench warfare phase of the campaign. In about two or three weeks, it'll boil down to three or four candidates. Uh, and and that's when it'll get sharper, and that's when we'll see more attacks. Um, this is pretty standard, as Deb was saying. This will not be the nastiest mayoralty campaign in the world. Uh, we've got some decent choices, and we've got some clear choices there. So uh, uh, let's get at it.
1: So are you going to tell Anna to pull out the nasty?
3: Uh, I don't think any uh, I don't think uh, Anna does nasty. Well, I think Anna should be Anna. (laughs) Okay,
1: she doesn't do nasty. Well, that's that's almost an endorsement for a politician. All right. Uh, Social media certainly does nasty and does it well. Canadians don't trust social media companies to self-regulate. They want the government to step in. Michelle, are you part of that group?
2: Oh, I feel really strange about this because I don't think the government should regulate free speech. But at the same time, I don't think it should be a platform where you should be able to spew whatever you want about anyone you want. I know there's a lot of talk that like Twitter is the Times Square of the world, I guess. But I disagree with that because the Times, if it was literally a Times Square, you would all be spread out. It'd be really hard to find people who had like the exact same like-mindedness as you versus you can find that quite easily on the internet. So I don't know if regulation is the right thing, but I wish the people who are running it were a bit perhaps stricter about what they allowed or had clear guidelines set up for that. Hey, if you lose your account, this is why or this person lost their account and this is why. So it's easier for people to to see perhaps that someone is posting information that is inaccurate or someone is posting information that is harmful.
1: If you're doing something illegal like trafficking in uh, sex trafficking, um, if you're victimizing children, that kind of thing, we already have laws in place for that. But I get uncomfortable, Deb, when, the, when somebody is saying that the government should be in charge of fixing disinformation. A politician thinks disinformation is anything that doesn't agree with them.
0: A hundred percent, Jerry. You should be uncomfortable with it. Listen, it's not mandatory to be on Twitter. You don't have to get your information from these social media platforms. So why in the world would we want the government to basically censor these platforms? Just stay off it. You don't like it. You don't know if you can trust it. Stay off it. Listen to News Talk 1010. Well,
1: listen, here's what I do, Bob. I go on Twitter every day. I stop responding, which has actually made me feel better, um, so I don't get in these silly debates. But uh, I go on Twitter because it'll point me to stories. Or I'll see something and I'll think, well, that's ridiculous. And then I spend 30 seconds online somewhere else and I realize it is ridiculous. Or I get pointed. In other words, what I'm saying is I don't need the government to protect me. It's incumbent on me to have more than one source and figure out what the truth is.
3: Yeah, I'm, I, I think I'm closer to your view, Jer- Jerry. I'm the same way on Twitter. I use it less and less. I use it as an information source. Uh, I don't get into Twitter fights. I don't do any of that nonsense. Um, and, I, you know, I, I view it as my responsibility. And if I don't like Twitter, I'll get off Twitter. Uh, I'm, I'm I'm already using it far less because I, I, I was finding it it was getting stupid there.
1: Here's an article from CTV news. Could artificial intelligence help us grieve lost loved ones by recreating their voices and likeness after death? You could have a conversation. I just, I, I don't know, Deb, like, I just don't want an AI conversation with my dad much as I miss him. It's creepy.
0: It is for me, too, Jerry. Um, but I, I if there's one thing you recognize when you've been through a, a death of someone really close to you, it's that everybody grieves so differently. So I'm like you. It's not for me. But if it is and it helps somebody else, what's it matter?
1: Yeah, i you know, I'm speaking. I don't want to outlaw it. But Bob, could
3: you see yourself doing that? Well, it's funny. I, I wrote down one word when I read the story, and it was creepy. Uh, so uh, I'm I, I'm i I'm with you on this, Jerry. I'm I'm in the creepy camp. Uh, I don't like it, but I, I agree with Deb. It, there may be some people that find this very uh, helpful and therapeutic as they go about their life. And if and if that works for them, God bless them.
1: Do you think you'd want to do it, Michelle, or are you pretty much in the position with the rest of us?
2: I think it's creepy if you were able to interact with them, like ask them questions and have them come back with answers you weren't expecting. But one of the first things that you forget about someone or that you lose when someone dies is listening to their voice so having that on hand I think would be really nice but at the same time I really like the idea of taking videos of people and like having people record their stories and that's something I wouldn't feel more comfortable going back to.
1: I sometimes had no idea how my dad was going to respond so I don't know how AI thinks they would um. <laughs> <laughs> Alright well that's uh, Michelle Morrow, Deb Hutton and Bob Richardson. Thanks so much to all of you. Jerry Egar in for John Moore. I'll be back tomorrow and then he's in place on Wednesday back from his vacation Mark Toohey after the news on News Talk 1010
3: Catch the round table round one at 745 round two at 845 weekday mornings on more in the morning News Talk 1010 Toronto